90 years ago, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe came for a visit in the United States. He was at that time just left Russia. Left is not the right word, just thrown out of Russia. And he, checked, he was visiting Poland, visiting Israel, and he came to America. One of the reasons was he wanted to decide where to move Chabad headquarters, to which country. Chabad headquarters was in Russia for 150 years. They were born there, everything was there. Suddenly, they cannot be in Russia anymore. This is before he settled in Warsaw? Before he settled in Warsaw, yes, exactly. And he came to America in 1929 for a visit. But there is more reasons for the visit. Number one, he wanted to fundraise money for Russian Jewry. To his luck, he came after the collapse of the, of the stock of market. The stock market. Exactly, the beginning of the Great Depression. Number two, he, but number three, besides checking out America and raising money for Russian Jewry, he also came to inspire American Jews to be more Jewish. Because mm-hmm. at that time, it was only the first generation of immigrants. They were all traditional Jews, religious Jews. They all spoke Yiddish. The newspapers were... And new Yiddish newspapers were in the hundreds of thousands of uh, copies sold in America. Many newspapers, a lot. And even the young generation, they were still very traditional. And he came, he wasn't just in one city in New York. He went all over. He was in Detroit and in Chicago and in Boston and in St. Louis and Milwaukee and wherever he could go. Mm-hmm. Many cities. Every time he came to a city for a few days or for a week and make big events, and he came also to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. He, he arrived to Philadelphia, the, and the train station were thousands, literally thousands of people waiting for him, excited, sitting, were waiting for him. From there, he, and the uh, vice mayor of the city was waiting for him there too. To tell you how big was the event, or in general in America, before he left back to Europe, he met with the President of the United States, Uber. Really? The Rebbe didn't speak uh, English. He was basically a foreigner, a refugee. Right. He, he had a private audience with the President. That tells you right. the, to, to the effect of the event, of so, the so visit. Just a, que- a background question. Were there, were there Lubavitcher Chassids in the United States? Yeah, or? not too many. Okay. Not too many. But, they were because of the generation, the, the immigrants who came in the, in the, in the, from the late 1800s to the early 1900s, there were many, many Has- kids of Hasidim mm-hmm. who grew up in a Hasidic home. That when they came and told them the Rebbe is coming, they all like, thousands of people woke up. It wasn't real Hasidim, there were not many, but, mm-hmm. but uh, supporters, people, who, uh, sympathizers, and things like this were thousands. Wherever he went, he had events of thousands of people came to Philadelphia from the train station. The city took him straight to the, what it's called, Liberty, to the Independence Hall. Hall. Thank you. He came to the Independence Hall. They honored him to sit on George Washington's chair. And while he was sitting there, he said something very interesting. He said, I was, since I came to America, my wish was to be at the place where the cradle of American liberty was created. Mm-hmm. From there, he was taken to the Liberty Bell. Mm-hmm. And there he put a bouquet of flowers or something from flowers. And he said that freedom that based on religion is the strongest freedom. 
all was a parade that was holding, was a whole event. It wasn't just going from place to place. Thousands of people going with them. And then one of a, re- a very rich lady in the community in Philadelphia dedicated for him the Iraus, that for them, it was a month there. Mm-hmm. For this month, sh- that's his. Uh, okay. Fine. And there were many articles in the newspapers about them. There were a few young boys, like 20-year-old guys, reading the articles and thinking to themselves, what was this Rebbe that everybody's talking so big about him? He's almost like God. He wants to replace God. What's going on here? They turned to one of the older guys in the community. He told them, what is this Rebbe? He thinks he's God. Maybe we don't need God anymore. He will replace him. He looked at him and he says, you know what? How about if you go and you ask him? They decided it's not a bad idea. They knew where, his, where he stays. One Saturday night, they, they crumbled into a car, six guys, and they arrived to the house where he lives, where he stays. They go up the steps, they see from the window, the house is full of people. Knock on the door, the secretary comes out, a nice and handsome, bearded man. What do you need, what can I do for you? He said, we want to see the rabbi. We have an important question to ask him. He writes down and says, uh, for the rabbi to see, to see you, you need to know what's your question. And I'm not going to say if he's God. <laughs> they said, we wanted to ask the rabbi if he expects us to observe this old ancient tradition in a new, in a new modern country. Mm-hmm. He says, okay, I'll, ask, I'll tell, tell the rabbi you came, but you'll see there is a whole house full of people. You have to wait for a long time. But meanwhile, you can come into the house. He said, no, thank you. We don't need to come to the house. We will stay wait outside and let us know. A few minutes later, he comes back. The Rebbe wants to see you now. <laughs> he says it takes them two people waiting from all over, looking at what well, these guys to get the private uh, get first, get, get up first. So they get, climb up the steps in the second floor. The Rebbe is standing by the by the floor by the steps, shakes everyone's hands, and he tells them, "This is my happiest moment in Philadelphia." See them. The Rebbe himself set up chairs, and he wanted to help me. He said, no, 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 I want to send him Set him down. He looks at him and says, you're intelligent boys, intelligent people. I want to tell you, you probably wonder why I accepted you before everybody else. He says, you see, downstairs people are waiting for me. One is waiting for me, his daughter is sick. What can I do for his daughter? To pray? He can pray by himself. Mm-hmm. He'll pray to God, and again, Hashem will hear his prayers too. The second one, he says, is coming because he has a lawsuit and he wants me to pray for him. He should win the lawsuit. <laughs> the Rebbe says, I'm not sure who is right. <laughs> and to pray, he can also pray to God that justice should come, should prevail, should, should come out. The third one is a businessman. He wants to buy a new business and he's asking me for my opinion. If I would be so smart, I would be myself a rich businessman. But then he turns to them, but if I cannot answer your question, I'm not a, I don't have no business to be a rabbi. Mm-hmm. And he told them like this, he looked at them and told them like this, you know, there are 613 commandments. And the Lubavitch Rebbe tries to observe every one of them. But the Lubavitch Rebbe realized that it's impossible to observe every one of them. Then what does he doing? Does he throw away all the 613 commandments? No. He tries as be- his best, as much as humanly possible, he tries to observe any more mitzvahs. Mm-hmm. They heard this, 
people like, wow, nobody ever talked to them like this. He said the whole anger of Judaism, the whole poison went out. Then the Rebbe looked at them and he says, I want, I'm asking from you to do the same thing. When you will try to do, to observe as many mitzvahs as possible for you, you will be just like the Lubavitcher Rebbe. I try to do as many mitzvahs, he tries to do as many mitzvahs as is possible, and asking you to try to do as many as you possible. They never heard such words. Mm-hmm. Then they, they, then he, he told them, he asked them that you, are you still putting on film? That some people say, admit it, say, no, we don't put it on film anymore. He offered them a pair of film. They said, no, we have, thank you. Then he asked them for the Hebrew name and for the mother's name. They wrote down, they want to give him the names and address. They said, no, thank you, I don't need it. Then some of the guys reached to the packet to give him some money, he stopped them. He says, I don't want money. I don't need money, I need mitzvahs. <laughs> he shook their hands and they left. They were 10 minutes with him. They walked out of the house. They were for two hours standing there and discussing what the Rebbe told them. And one of them writes the letter. It was a letter to the to a newspaper, to the Jewish press, I think. He writes, all of us became much closer to Judaism. He writes the letter probably 70 years later. Mm-hmm. And we influenced other people. We shared with anybody we know the story. Mm-hmm. The part of this week is Truma, talking about building a sanctuary to God, building a temple. God says, build me a sanctuary and I will dwell among you. And God gives the orders for uh, how to build the ark, and how to build the menorah, and how to build a table with the showbread, and how to be the altar, innovation, st- uh, washing station, everything. And the Torah says, before God starts to say it, God tells Moses, you should build it as I showed you on the mountain. Means to say, God showed them a vision how the temple is going to look like. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't have blueprint, it doesn't have any drawings, he doesn't have any pictures. How? You're telling him how exactly? That God showed them a vision. It's written in the beginning of this parsha and kind of by the end. It's written again. And you should do it as I showed you in the mount, on the mount. Fine. Still, when it comes to the menorah, the Torah says that God showed Moses the menorah, how, to be, how it should be made. Didn't he show them the whole thing already? Why is to show them the menorah? Moses, a vision, menorah made out of fire. And he told them, this this is you should do it. This may be a stupid question, but by menorah, do you mean the the eight stick candelabra? The seven stick candelabra that was in the temple. Okay, okay. Why he needed to show them again? Why was what was so complicated? Because God wanted, said to Moses, to make it take one piece of gold and to edge out the menorah. It was made it to be. He couldn't make take branches and attach it to each other. That would be one piece of gold and edge it out with 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 with, with special tools. And it wore a lot of decoration on the seven branches. There were flowers and upside down cups and spheres, then it was a very complicated business that Moses says, I can understand how to do it. That God showed them a menorah made out of gold, not just showed them a menorah made, made out of, f- of fire. And because fire is different colors, fire is red, mm-hmm. 
and black and blue mm-hmm. and white, that the menorah, the different decorations of the menorah were in different colors, that Moses was able to see, to differentiate what is what. Right. Fine. Still, when it came to the action of the, to, to actually doing the menorah, the Torah tells us that Moses couldn't do it. He couldn't. God told him, you know what, just take the piece of gold, throw it into the fire, and the menorah came out miraculously. He couldn't do it. The Rebbe once was asking, why was, what was so complicated for Moses? We read later in the Bible, in the book of Kings, that Solomon, Solomon, when Solomon built the menorah, built the temple, he built ten menorahs, not one. And he built them just the same as Moses did it, the same type, the same style, from gold. The, the Rebbe is asking, if Solomon could do it, why Moses couldn't do it? The main answer that the Rebbe gives is a very practical answer. Solomon. Solomon was in Jerusalem, a king of all over the world. He brought things, professionals, and, 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 uh, and, and tools from everywhere he needed. He had all the machinery he needed. Not a surprise. Moses was in the desert, in the middle of nowhere. It's true he had gold. But to, be, to build such a thing, he couldn't. He didn't have enough human power. He did not have the tools. He didn't have anything. Not a surprise he couldn't build it. Mm-hmm. That's the Rebbe's answer. It's true. But, but maybe there is more to it. What I need to say is, because there is still a question. One of the furni- pieces of furniture was the ark. Mm-hmm. The ark, at the top of the ark, were the cherubs. Also there, God said to make it from one, the cover and the cherubs to be from one piece of gold, mm-hmm. etched out. To make cherubs, it's not right. an easy job either. Now it's carving in gold. Carving in gold and making faces and babies and, and wings. Right. Then what was so hard about the menorah that Moses couldn't do it? Maybe there is a lesson here. The temple represent, the sanctuary represents a job that, uh, our, our mission in life. Every one of us has to make a temple for God in his heart. Mm-hmm. The Ark of the Covenant represents learning Torah. The two tablets are inside the Ark. The cherubs in top of the Ark represent marriage, love. Because the, the cherubs, faces of a male and a female, right. looked at each other. Right. The the table represents livelihood. The food and the bread on the table represents to make a living. The altar represents repentance, atonement, right? Because you come and see, we bring a, a sacrifice to the altar. The washing station represents purity. You have to wash, go immerse to the mikveh. What the menorah represents? The menorah represents the soul of man. Ner Hashem Nishmat Adam. The candle of God is the soul of man. And what, what is happening here? Ark, we have to do an ark. I have to learn Torah. God cannot teach me Torah in the middle of the night. I have to take my time, Thursday at noon, and to come to learn Torah. The, the cherubs, love it in husband and wife. God is not going to do it for you. You just have to be a man. Right. Behave, and, and Hashem will help you. And you walk it out. You're made to make, make love. The table, Livelihood to make a living, you yes. get up in the morning and you go to work. There is not a waste about it. God is not going to send us a check in the mail. Yes. The altar to do to repent. Yes. I have to repent. God cannot do it. 
But there is one thing that's dependent on God, yeah. the candle of the soul. To have a spark of Judaism, the, the Pintali, that's called, your spark of godliness that in you out, Moses turned to God and says, you do it. I don't know how to do it. I want you to put the spark of God into every one of us. Then we can, with this, make learn Torah and, and, uh, and, and, uh, and make a livelihood and bring love between us and, and to re- repent. We can do everything. Yes. But the spark of God, in every one of us, there is a fire. This fire God had to put in us. And with this, we can use everything. That's why Moses did it. And we take this flame, and we have to be in touch with our flame, then we can, then we can, we can, we can uh, continue and do the rest of the, of the temple.